Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, welcome to Going Off Track. Hi, I like your hat. Thank you, Brad. It's finally time for me to break out my winter hat. It's getting cold out there. Don't I know it? I came over the bridge yesterday on my bike with cold hands yeah. because I couldn't find my riding gloves because... You haven't used them in so long. I haven't used them in so long. I, like, packed away somewhere. Yeah. So, I imagine hands. your apartment, for some reason, being incredibly organized. Oh! <laughs> Just judging by the studio and sort of by your... Uh, that's nice of you to say. Yeah? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my wife listen to this podcast. Yeah? Our apartment's a mess. I, I, <laughs> I find that sort of hard to believe. Or I think also think like mess. People say like their place is a mess. I feel like it's very relative. Oh, our place is full. We lo- it looks like... Well, you have two kids, so I understand you need a lot of stuff. It looks like we're um, hoarders. And do you have like um like a play area where your kids play? We do have a play area and they tend to not want to play there. We have a nice big living room with like, you know, a kitchen like that is open into it and it's really beautiful. It's a lovely apartment. But so the kids want to hang out out there and play. So yeah. they drag all their toys out. So the living room's covered in toys. And like I'm you know, we're into it. Yeah. Nice to see the kids. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> uh do they have like do they have a lot of instruments? They do have some instruments. Yeah. Yeah. And they get broken out every now and again. We keep talking about getting a piano, but there's not really a lot of room for it. Yeah. Um, but that may change. We're kind of looking to upgrade. Nice. So you thinking grand piano? No. <laughs> Baby grand. I'm thinking the Yamaha piano that's here. Yeah. It's, in, it's, a, it's like a student model upright, or it's a little bit bigger than a student model. Perfect size for a New York apartment. Great, and it's a pretty nice piano. I just recorded on it yesterday, actually. Oh yeah, played some piano on two the or one of the songs that I was re- been recording. Great. Well, take it, man. It's yours. Thank you. You're welcome, Jonah. You're so generous. I wanted to get that piano to you. <laughs> uh, today in the podcast, someone else who has a kid. <laughs> Not my best segue. Segue, however you get. Somebody else with two arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jimmy Laval, he's, uh, Jimmy is an old, old friend of mine when we met when he was, uh, in an instrumental San Diego band called Tristeza, you may be familiar with. Uh, before that he was in The Locust and we met, I interviewed him for my zine probably like 15 years ago in San Diego and we stayed in touch and Tristeza s- stayed at my house when they were on tour with Sigur Ross in Ohio and we kind of in and out of touch and... Jimmy started this project, um, the album Leaf, probably, probably a while ago. I feel like their the first record came out in like 2004 or something. So over a decade ago, and they put out a bunch of records on Sub Pop. And in August, they put out their newest record called Between Waves on Relapse. Uh, but despite being on Relapse, it is not a metal record. It's kind of this ambient, instrumentally, it's really good stuff, uh, so, yeah, I've been emailing with Jimmy, and I thought it'd be fun to have an old old friend from the hardcore scene on the podcast. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we talked about everything. We talked about his whole career, sort of what it's like to try to continue to make music as an adult, um, kind of his approach to things, and 
the influence of his older bands. Did you talk about uh, inst- his kids' instruments? I don't think we in got into room? that. Uh, <laughs> definitely talked about his kid a little bit, but it was me, so you know, not too much. Yeah, you don't lead that that subject, do you? It's not my favorite <laughs> subject. Uh, but you know, it's if it's a part of someone's life, it's it's you know, I'm not gonna. That's okay to hate kids. Jenna. I don't ha- I no, don't hate fine. kids. It's really I don't fine. Hate kids. I know they're they're scary little creatures. They're small. You don't know they could be hiding anywhere. I, I don't hate kids it's with just, boogers on their face. I would just rather talk about like <laughs> they're fully germs. I'd rather talk about like the like San Diego hardcore to scene in the '90s and kids any <laughs> any day of the week. That is just much more in my wheelhouse. Sorry. Um. But Jimmy can talk about it all. <laughs> Jimmy's not emotionally stunted. So, uh, yeah. Um, let's just stop talking about Jimmy and yeah. talk to Jimmy. Good idea. On Going Off Track. It's going off track! Is it going? It's going. Oh, okay. We're starting. Cool. <laughs> How's it going, Jimmy? Thanks for coming. Good. It's good. How are I you? I wanted to have you on here for so long. That's awesome. Yeah. I no, actually, I'm here. I should have brought it. I'll send it to you. I found this interview that I did with you for my zine. Oh, from back when, when your Cleveland days? Yeah, yeah. I did a semester where I lived in California, and I mm-hmm. interviewed you, I think, I think, it must have been when you were in Tris- Tristeza, and it was at like a locust house. We did it like in a closet at like a party. Yes. Yeah. So it must have been like 2000, 2001. It would probably even, maybe even earlier. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah. You showed me your yeah. locust lip tattoo. It's still there. Is it still there? It's still there. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is because I got that on tour. That was like my first, well, this is the second tour ever. It was 96. Um, summer of 96 was my was my second tour ever okay and my first was spring break of my senior year okay that was with guy Row one um and my second tour ever was a locust jenny piccolo tour that was 96 and then um it was all of us in the van and we played in ogden utah in a basement and i got my i got my first tattoo which is my lip tattoo so there it is was <sighs> was fun. the locust was that your first band um or- i mean I had plenty of bands before that. Like okay. Gabe, Gabe and I from, well, yeah, Gabe Locust. Um, he and I had like two bands during our high school years. So we've known each other since like 94. We we were started playing music together in 94, Gabe and I. Um, we had this band called, I had, I was in this band called Steel Tree. This is, if anybody digs any of this shit up, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Um, we had this band, I had this band called Steel Tree, we got a new drummer, Gabe, and then we turned and then we turned Steel Tree into this band called Jedi Mind Trick. And then when I was in those bands, um, is when we met when I met like JP and like that whole kind of crew. Okay. And they were the, like they were two years older, so they were like different like I was in high school and they were like the you know, the the cool kids and like swing kids and yada yada yada. And I just kinda of, kinda of started discovering all of that and then um and then we met those, and then I quit those bands, and then joined Guyver One, um, and a short time after joined the Locust. So, as far as like my first like touring experience, like Guyver One was my first tour that I ever did. Okay, um, so it's like first band that put out a record, like an actual like you know thing, and yeah. So uh, so kind of like I guess you can say it was like first like band that wasn't like that did more than just play locally. Gotcha. Yeah. Because I was always sort of confused about, like, your transition with the Tristeza stuff. Like, yeah. was that, like, uh, what, were you doing both at any time? Or did you sort of leave? Because I saw Tristeza, I feel for the first time at, like, a Detroit fest or something when, yeah. like, Spine and Sensory was out. And I remember being like, there was no, I had never heard anything like that before. Yeah. Like, that's a very popular thing now. I feel like that instrumental totally. kind of chant. But at the time, it was really different. Yeah. Well, I mean. For me, at least. No, I, I yeah, totally. I mean, so when we were in the Locust, or what? Actually, that first tour, that first Gabber One tour, um, we went out. We played Detroit Fest, um, senior in high school, a spring break. So this is like late nineties. This is ninety six. Ninety six. Okay. Um, we played in Kalamazoo in a basement at Christopher Sprague's from Tristeza's house, and that's when we met, like Chris and. Jimmy Laner, 
He was in a band called Bev Clone, Chris Rosen, Constantine Sincati. Um, we all played this Michigan Fest back in 96. We all met. Um, shortly, like in 97, or no, actually the summer of 96, like the end of 96, um, Christopher moved out to San Diego um, to just kind of like, we all just like hit it off really strong, like when we all first met. And um, that summer, basically Christopher moved in to my house so we had this little compound, the Locust Compound. This was called 24th and 8th Compound. It was three three different houses, okay. two two buildings and like three different spots. Gotcha. One in the back and then upstairs, downstairs in the front. Um, so Christopher moved in. And then when Christopher moved out, JP, Christopher, and I wanted to start a new band, um, which was Crimson Curse. And then so we started Crimson Curse. Um, Christopher and I were roommates and just kind of, we were both like 17, 18 um, and just discovering, like, playing, obviously, angsty, you know, Crimson Curse, Locust, like, Guyver One, all that kind of stuff. Um, but also, at the same time, being, like, big fans of, like, Nick Drake and Red House Painters and, you know, like, things like that. And then so, like, Christopher and I at night would just, like, play acoustic guitar. And that was, like, the beginnings of Tristeza. And then, so, yeah, we were doing Crimson Curse and at the time, I was in, like, three bands with JP. I was doing Swing Kids. I was doing Crimson Curse. And I was doing The Locust. Right. Um, and then Christopher and I kind of started doing this Tristeza thing, um, which really surfaced in, like, 97. Um, and then there was just a point where it was just, like, I don't know. I had, I had like, too much of JP. And I yeah. like quit everything. <laughs> and then just focused on Tristeza. Um, and that's when kind of Tristeza kind of started. And Crimson Curse quit or okay. stopped, you know? So that was kind of, like... So in the meantime, in the interim of all that, I had like a four track and, you know, still was like, you know, listening to like Rachel's and like, you know, mellow stuff and discovering Brian Eno, discovering like, you know, Nick Drake and the back catalog of all that stuff, alternate tunings, yada, yada, yada. Um, And then, yeah, that kind of like turned into four track recordings that were like the early beginnings of Album Leaf. Um, and Tristeza kind of so that's kind of the shift that's where the shift happened where okay. it was just like it was fun I did like you know super hardcore stuff and like played shows naked and like you know toured and you know like whatever like all the basements and like Michigan Fest and stuff like that um, and then just kind of like started Tristeza well to make so. things more confusing for me at least <laughs> my old band The Love Kill oh yeah yeah toured totally. with Tristeza but way after you were involved mm. like the band kept because it was like I was yeah it was like I remember like um, Allison was in it yeah. and like um, Sean Sean yeah. yeah and so we we would tour with them and they were sort of putting out new music also but it was none of I don't know how many people were even involved from when you kind of started well it. there should have been pretty much at the after I left the core kind of remained Jimmy okay. Christopher and Luis Yes, I remember Louis. Yeah. yeah, of course. So the three of them just kind of kept okay. it going. I think gotcha. they're still kind of going. Yeah. We actually like chatted because like it's officially the twenty year anniversary of our seven inch release. Twenty years, yeah, really. Next year, wow. Yeah. So I'm also start. I also have a label, and I have a and um, am like reissuing my older album leaf releases. Um, my first two album leaf releases that are out of print, um, and I had wanted to possibly reissue all the early Tristeza stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and then just maybe do like a handful of nostalgia shows, you know, just that like as a 20 year release. So 20 awesome. year, yeah. And Christopher talked about wanting to like record new music and do stuff like that, but I'm totally not interested <laughs> in doing that because, you know, there's a reason why we all kind of parted ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to, you know, rehash all that. So I still feel um, like if I have like my iTunes on shelf or something like yeah. Golden Hill or something comes out, I'm like, totally. this is real, still sounds really good. Yeah, and I would love to like totally i would love to like just get together and play that record yeah you know, and like just don't focus on anything else but it gets hard because of obviously like you want to kind of like toy with like the you know other stuff and and musically you've changed and you've evolved over 20 years hopefully you know so it's kind of hard to just be like let's just play this only right but that's really what i want to do i'm going to still kind of see if that can work that's but. so weird because I keep thinking of Album Leaf as like your new project. Yeah. <laughs> it's, my guess, new, it's my new 20-year-old project. <laughs> yeah, I, guess, I didn't realize. I guess I have like a bad sense of time. It doesn't, totally. Because I want to talk about, um, I'm sure you've never talked about this in an interview, but yeah. we had this crazy night in Cleveland. I don't know if you remember this. 
Yeah, we crashed at your place. You too. crashed at my place, yeah. and you guys were on tour with Sigur Ross. Yeah. And they got some, like, gay club to open up just that's, for the tour. That was Cleveland? Yes. Oh, shit. That's, that's right. Because I remember you guys were staying with me. I was like, sure. And it was at the Odeon, which is now defunct. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Sigur Ross was like, they were amazing. I think they were, to- I don't, they were, I think they were touring on... Back um, then it was just four-piece. Yeah. So it would have been that yeah that record that no one can pronounce yeah um the the big record the big record yeah and it was an amazing show and then yeah i remember after the show you're like we're all gonna go out and i was like all right cool and then you were somehow someone had convinced some gay club downtown to stay open because they were yeah. like fans or something yeah and we went there and we it had was the whole like, place to ourselves this <laughs> whole dance club to yeah. ourselves and like they turned on the music and the lights and i remember like you guys were the only ones like, who could really speak English. Yeah. And I remember I called my friend, John. I was like, hey, dude, I'm at this like gay bar downtown. I don't really know that many people. Do you want to come hang out? And he was like, oh, uh, I guess. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it was like totally insane. Yeah, totally. Those, I mean, those, they, they had, yeah. I mean, everybody loves, loved cigarettes from like the beginning. And they were like, there was definitely like all the mystery about it and the mist, you know, and, um, Yonti, of course, is gay. And, uh, I think that was like kind of the connection and like what happened. And I remember that's where I saw him really cut a rug and I was like, oh, dude can dance. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty rad, you know? I almost yeah. left with, I actually made out with like their cello player or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. So their, that would have been 2003 then. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. And then like yeah. their bus started moving and I was like, they're like, you should come. I was like, I got to go. I live yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to Totally. Yo, that was good times. Yeah. yeah that was totally. so fun. And then yeah. you... Uh, ended up going to Iceland and making a record, yeah. an album leaf record with them, correct? Yeah. yeah. That it was, was after. In a safe place. Yeah, that was after that okay. second tour. Because on that tour, they were actually playing with me and backing me. Okay. Um, so that kind of morphed into let's, like, let's, uh, I'd never been to Iceland. They were, you know, we'd already done three tours together. Um, I And I in Europe, I'd ridden with them. Excuse me. I was riding with them in the bus over there touring and they were backing me and it would kind of like morph the songs into something else and it kind of got cool and i wanted to kind of capture that and and they were like you should come to iceland it's like we have this studio it's amazing like come and i was like cool so i did and then they i was just kind of like had their studio with an engineer their house engineer biggie um who everyone confuses with yonsi um, okay. I read that so many times, like, oh, Yonti recorded the record. Like, no, he did not record the record. It's a guy with a... Other people have the same names, you know? <laughs> it's like, there's another guy named John Berger, or, you know, Biggie Bergerson. He has the same last name, because all it is is your father's name, and, you're, and you add son if you're male, and you add female if you're... Or you add daughter, D-O-T-T-I-R, if you're female. Oh, really? That's all the names. That's all the last names are. I didn't you know? know that. Yeah. So my father's name is James. I would, you know, in that, I would be Jameson. Okay. So that's all. Yeah. So that's all it is. And like a a lot of people just confuse it. But anyhow, um, but yeah, so I went over there and I just tracked that. And then um, the dudes kind of just came in like, oh, let me play drums on this. Oh, let me play this on this. And, you know, so that's kind of how that record kind of happened. How did you sort of, because obviously there was a language barrier with those guys, especially I'm sure early on. I mean, how did you sort of manage yeah. to connect with them so much? They speak really good English, they actually. Do? Yeah, they're, okay. it's totally it's um, yeah they they speak really good English. I was probably it's at like thick a thick accent. I was There's probably a really also at like a loud dance club, like screaming yeah. over music. Like totally. these guys, their English is bad. It's probably yeah. like totally not at all the case. No, but I mean it is a super thick accent. Okay. So like you know, but it is like you know they totally they speak English, but. Um, just like with a Nordic accent, you know? okay. So, but um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, and then they're, sh- I mean, it's mostly just being shy. They're like yeah. shy, and then all of a sudden, then you know, open up. They're total jokesters, you know. They're like, they're not. Everyone perceives them to be so like serious and mysterious. Yeah, I remember and someone was like hiding in a refrigerator. Exactly. Or yeah, something. They're, they're, it was like yeah. very goofy. Yeah, I mean, we were all like in our twenties, and yeah. you know, like so, it was still very fun times. You yeah. Know? And actually, I just saw them like a month ago. We played at a festival in Japan together. Oh, nice! Just like just like old times, still again. You know, hung out and doing the same thing and same kind of like antics and you know having fun and then saying goodbyes. Yeah, yeah. And so I got um, I've listened to your new record a lot. I think it's really cool. But to me, I was like, I got the press release. I was like, Oh, Jimmy's on relapse. He's doing something heavy again. <laughs> and I got I was like, No, this is not heavy. But yeah. it's like just no. And and normally. 
just knowing your whole career trajectory, it's been so, like, yeah. started out so aggressive and sort of more mellow. I mean, how did that sort of come about, I guess, especially for this project? The relapse connection? Yeah. Um, I mean, to be, I mean, to be, like, full disclosure, I guess, like, um, there's a couple different elements um, that are involved um, that kind of bring it, bring it all kind of full circle. Um, but first one being that my manager, I have a new manager that I started working with in the last like year and a half or so. Um, I had, you know, just kind of changed after the last record in the last kind of six years of like quote unquote hiatus where I was actually very busy and doing a lot and just like, just wasn't like releasing official album leaf stuff, but I was releasing a lot of other stuff. Um, she, I started working with a new manager. She also manages a band called Red Fang. Red Fang is on relapse. Okay. So there's connection number one. Um, and then the second connection is actually the the you know second in command of relapse uh his name is Rennie um used to run a venue called the Mr. Roboto project in Pittsburgh yes, which I remember that spot. which Tristeza and Album Leaf spent plenty of years and plenty of time at um so there's connection number 2 essentially okay. um Rennie and I used to hang all the time back then um so basically kind of like when it came time to like here's his new record we're shopping it things are like just totally saturated everybody's wanting to release a record even right now i feel like there's like three other shows every single night that we're playing you know in small cities like Asheville, for example there's still like there's so much traffic um so obviously music scene is completely saturated um and sales are you know not what they used to be the the, the everything is just different nowadays you know right. like everything's mp3 based or this or you know like physical things aren't the same um so in that world, like just reaching out to, you know, like we shopped and like just got, you know, no, no, like a uh, huge albumly fan. Oh, I've loved what he's done. Like, oh, just not, not the right time for us. Like, you know, people, it was actually kind of like flattering, like all this shopping, even though it was frustrating because there was like so many like, oh, wow, I've reached a lot of like a lot. I've been around a long time. Like people know, know what I'm doing. Like that's right. cool. Totally. Um, but at the same time, then like being frustrated because like everyone's like, you know, fans and they're into it, but like not wanting to release it or not wanting to like, you know, hop down that road. So um, through all the, like the flattery, it was a lot of frustration. Anyhow, and then relapse kind of Laura was like, you know, my manager is like, oh, you know, I relapse is interested. And I thought like immediately like, oh, hell no. You know, like that's like, like, ah, uh, whatever, you know, like that's, that's cool that they are, but like, I'd rather like, I don't know, some kind of like other thing that I kind of felt like I meshed more with. Cause even with sub pop, I didn't really feel like I completely connected with that label either, you know, like musically. Right. Um, um, and so that was kind of, I don't know. And then it just like turned into like, and then I met with them and I met, you know, you know, met with Rennie who had already hung with like, you know, kind of back in the day and all that kind of stuff. And then just kind of got into all of that. And I don't know, whenever all things kind of came together, it just made sense. And it was like, you know, definitely they as a label are kind of like branching out and kind of open arms and bringing in more things and trying to kind of diversify their roster. Um, which is kind of a cool thing to be a part of. And also the fact that we're, we talk about it is also another like kind of strong point because I could have just been on another sub pop or another this or whatever. And it wouldn't really matter. It was like, Oh, here's your record on, on this label, you know, but the fact that it's on like relapse, it's like, Whoa, what the, what's that all about? Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a chatter point there. So yeah, it's not on tiger style or yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you know, I don't know. It's like there's like that, you know, there's kind of like different ways and like going back to like circling back to being like kind of a saturated market, like to kind of like make a stir a little bit of noise, you know, like, oh, they're on relapse. What? You know, right. It's a little bit more just like it brings that conversation maybe one sentence longer, you know. That's true. That makes sense. And you have to be the <laughs> yeah. first artist to go from sub pop to relapse, I would imagine. I, yeah, I, I would guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I don't know. I mean, and then they just, they just took on Survive, too, which is what they, they just, I just got the record. Uh, I got I the record a couple months ago. I haven't heard ago. them. Are they good? It's great. Yeah, okay. it's like the, they did, they scored, they're getting um, recognition now for scoring Stranger Things, the Netflix oh, show. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So like, that's like, obviously the blow up of Stranger Things is, is definitely helped them kind I'm of sure. like surface too. So they're on relapse. That record comes out on the 30th. Okay, um, cool. so, you know, stuff like that, that it's just kind of like, they're kind of circling out more, you know? That's great. I mean, could you talk a little bit about, um, you sort of talked a little about like the last six years, and the haters and that stuff. I mean, could you talk a little bit, I guess, like what you've been up to sort of 
musically, and I'd imagine yeah. also like I didn't realize you had two kids. I mean, yeah. I guess you just had one kid, but I didn't realize. Yeah, I can't. I it's always weird for me when I know someone whose kids like older than like one year old. <laughs> totally. Like I don't know why. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So storytellers tour, like the course storytellers came out in 2010. We did a lot of like hefty touring on that. Um, after that, like the band kind of like split up somewhat. Um, basically, that like unit that I had for like eight years, um, two guys went their own way and then matt and i remained the same violinist that i've had since 2002 i think um so anyhow uh so that happened and that's when the now current lineup started which is matt dave and i or dave and brad and i um and so it's kind of funny that this is the first actual record that we've put out as a being having been a band now for six years like in this you know configuration but we actually so so we 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 did like a like you know handful of like things through 2011 just kind of like filler like weird festival stuff and like one-off shows and flyings and stuff like that um and then we did another tour um with sister crown who actually and is now rituals of mine who's on tour with us again um and then um made an ep that we put out in 2012 and then also in the interim of that i also scored a film called tori's distraction um which i released in 2012 as well or 2011 somewhere around there okay so they basically i did chorus of storytellers then i released a soundtrack record called tori's distraction um as the album leaf and then in 2012 released this ep called forward return as the album leaf um 2013 i did that collaboration i did a collaboration with mark koslick red house painter some kill moon dude um that came out in 2013 um 2014 scored another film released that and it's called before you know it 2015 scored another film called spring um released that in 2015 and then now we're here in 2016 with a new record so you haven't um, done anything really yeah exactly (laughs) and in the interim of all of that yeah i've had two kids i have a three-year-old and a 11 week old um so you know through the middle of all of that um yeah basically i've so i've been incredibly busy um and there's other films too I, my wife's also a filmmaker i scored her her film um which is um doing festival stuff now it's called the ovarian psychos um and you know i have i'm working and scoring on another th- two films right now currently while i'm on tour so kind of just like i've been I'm, i've been busy and i've done a lot of collaborations too with other artists that are like, like i'm sitting on um and i released that there was a collaboration i did with a with an artist named peter broderick that we released in summer of 2013 also a film came out um of our tour in china in 2013 um so yeah so this a lot <laughs> do you yeah. like is was this film scoring stuff something you'd been wanting to get into for a while yeah um i mean yes and no kind of like it was kind of like I had been licensed so much like for usages, mostly for TV, not so much for film. But um, And I was always like more thinking that it would make more sense for me to actually score something rather than license something, you know, like that it would make more sense. It'd be more fun for me to actually like start from something on something from scratch. Right. So, and the way I got into it, the first film I did, Tori's Distraction, she had, the director had actually just temped in a ton of my music. And, and gave me the film to watch and approve the usages. Um, and with that, I was like, why don't you just let me score it? I'd love to score it. Um, they didn't have any money. I did it for free, you know? And I just, um, that was kind of my jump in, you know, point. Um, and then there was another film that I scored um, called Wonder Woman, The Untold Story of um, American Superheroines. Um and that was more of like the sound alike world, you know, so there wasn't like much um creative freedom. There was a handful of pieces that I did where I was able to kind of embellish and do my own thing, but for the most part she just kind of wanted excuse me, she just wanted like sound alikes, you know. Um so like I did like a heart song, I did like a Latigra song, I did like a this song and okay. that song, you know. So I kind of like and all of this I kind of felt like in my mind I was kind of like cutting teeth, you know, like cutting my teeth like on doing this stuff and I came from that world too of doing jingles like back in the late nineties too, where like I had to make a Foo Fighters song and like a this song, you know. Um 
And then I was able to kind of do my own thing with Before You Know It. And then with Spring, um, I was able to do my own thing. So then it's kind of turned into like, oh, this is like, and I, I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost 40. So like, there's also that I'm a father of two, almost 40. And it's like, you know, I, I, I love to tour. I love to play shows, but like, I got to be home too, you know, so kind of like subsidizing like that. Right. And, and really touring is not my main source of income either, but it also is a main source of kind of keeping me afloat and, and in the, on the, in the radar, you know, so it's kind of a necessary thing to do. Um, so, you know, hence kind of falling more into film scoring and, and focusing on that. Gotcha. I mean, yeah. what is, what's sort of like your process like for that? You just kind of watch stuff over and over and just think about what would match it. What's in your yeah. head or something. I mean, luckily for me, there's a lot of people that I've worked with. The last three films have come to me for what I do. Okay. Rather than like, kind of like, here's our temp stuff. This is kind of what we want. I want this kind of thing. So luckily, um, I've been approached to do what I do. So, that being said, like, I kind of just like, yeah, I mean, I just watch the film. I kind of watch scenes. I just kind of think about it and I sit on it for a while. I probably tinker for about two weeks, three weeks until I kind of fall into what I think is going to be the tone and the mood and the, you know, whatever. Um, and then from there, I just hope the director kind of approves the, of that direction. And then I can kind of just, you know, have at it. And like continue down that path where I've established like tones and sounds and like, you know, and then of course there's cue sheets, there's ins and outs and, um, you know, where the director feels like they want music and certain spots to hit. And so, um, then you kind of like write generally, I kind of like to just write like a kind of a collection of ideas, um, that aren't to scene, you know, just like movie in mind, like here's like 10 like beds and 10 ideas, 10 themes, 10, you know, whatever. And then kind of like throw that at them. And from there you can kind of dissect and like pull into place and like, this is what I had an idea for this character or whatever, you know, so it's not to, to scene. And then from there you kind of then start to fine tune, I guess. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I just had the weirdest flashback <laughs> that involves you and not you physically, but, yeah. um, I sort of did something. I did the music when I interned in like 15 years ago. I did music super for the real world, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the my boss was this guy Dave Stones. I was looking for instrumental music, and I was like, "Yeah, check out this band Tristeza." Yeah, and I think they got used on the show. Yeah, like a bunch of times because like we didn't there. It, and that's sort of leading into my next question. Like, I feel like now it's like obviously it's like explosion in the sky. There's whatever mm -hmm. like Magui Mono. Like it's I feel like it's not weird, but I remember back then with Tristeza, it, it was kind of weird. Like, and I remember every interview, yeah. it's kind of like, why don't you sing? Like, why yeah. isn't there a vocalist? Like, do you feel like that's changed? The landscape of music has changed a lot as far as that comes? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, I don't know. It's kind of hard to, like, uh, it's, I feel like I'm thankful for where I am and what I've done and, like, the success that I've had. But I also feel like it's kind of been, like, over, like, all of these bands that we when we were doing our thing that inspired other things, like these bands that were inspired by are now kind of totally over. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird to say, but it's like, you know, like I do know like bands that have cited like myself as influences and like, you know, whatever. But, um, so thanks to that, I feel like, yeah, the landscape has kind of changed, um, where, you know, I get, asked less and less and maybe that's just because i've been around for as long as i have but i get asked less and less about like why don't you sing or what you know i feel like every cycle there is something like so what what's what kind of song because like, i do sing on some songs and it's like what kind of song do you you know like you sing like what what how do you choose to sing on something and not to you know right so like you know, i get asked that question a lot but um but yeah for the most part i feel like there has been like more open, like, you know, instrumental music is not such a like, whoa, why aren't there, why aren't there vocals? Right. I do feel like it has changed. And so, I, and, and I do feel like as a journalist, it's so easy. Like I feel like whenever yeah. you'd hear a bench study, you'd be like, this is so cinematic. Yeah, totally. Or, like that's, yeah. so it's like <laughs> interesting for you to actually yeah. go into that because yeah. like people are kind of putting it on you anyways. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's, yeah, they're always just like, it's just associated with like, it's cinematic because you have to grab something that's going to, there's something has to be there to like keep your attention, I guess. 
and that's where like the cinematic like oh you know like you kind of like hone in on like that like something that like grabs your attention and kind of gives you a theme and like you know it's kind of big and overwhelming and you know or something like that definitely i mean do you still feel like even like the newer album release stuff do you feel like it's um still informed by whatever swing kids or all that 3-1-g stuff i mean do you feel like Mm -hmm. even maybe sonically it doesn't sound the same but do you feel like it's still a part of sort of what you do in a way well i mean i don't i don't think there's anything i don't think there's anything musically directly related but obviously like i stemmed from you know this seed and that seed is you know like sprouted me into who i am and who i am musically so everything is kind of like ingrained in there somehow so you know as there's not like a specific like you know back in swing because i wrote this change <laughs> right right You're like yeah. no, i'm gonna do this like yeah, I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna do that you know there's, there's nothing like that but obviously like you know my youth and how i was musically raised like you know or musically educated um and when I say that, I mean more so like bands that I was influenced by, not like things in theory that I learned, um, although that obviously is, is, you know, still is relevant. But um, but yeah, I mean, I am who I am because of where I came from. Right. You know, so that's, you know, I'll never forget. I'll never forget those days. <laughs> I just think the trajectory is so cool. Like, I just think it would be so funny for like an albumly fan to be like, I wonder what else this guy's done and just like keep going further back. And be like, yeah, because that's the other thing too is like, for instance, like it's been six years since my last release. Six years is a long time for people. Sure. You know, like somebody who was 14 is now 20. And like, I know how much, how much I discovered in that time period. So there's a, there's a ton of new people that are like, and still, it's kind of funny, like, every single year, every single time we tour, oh, I've been waiting 10 years to see you. It's like, well, we've been around for 15, so where were you, like, where, what's going on? Yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah. understand where you were. Like, um, But so that still happens, you know? So it's like, there's still, obviously, there's new fans, which is great. And like, yeah, it, it would be, I, I would totally like to see, even my publishing people, like, people that I've worked with for a long time did not know that past. And I was like, sent them just like... I think I sent them like the Crimson Curse video, me playing naked, and like a Locust video from like '97 and Zed Records, where I'm just like, ah, like totally screaming, and they're right, just like, right. "Holy shit! Like, what? What is this?" You yeah, know, like yeah. totally mind blown, you know. And it's like that's where I, you know, that's where I came from. So it's kind of funny. Do you you still live in San Diego? No, I live in LA. You live in LA. Yeah. How long have you been there for? I've been in LA for f- six years. Okay. Um. I've been away from San Diego for eight. I spent okay. two years in Santa Cruz. Um, my wife was in grad school there, so we went there, and then we moved to LA because she was she got off, she's in film, so she got offered a job um, producing uh, a documentary. So we moved down to do that, like as a, it was like a six month job. Okay. That so we were like, let's see what happens because like growing up in San Diego. LA is not the like you either love or you hate LA. I was of the hate LA okay. side, um, and then now I'm there and I love it. So, yeah, yeah. We're like we don't see ourselves going anywhere else. Yeah. What do you What do you like? Because actually, our last guest would actually all of our other guests we've had out here today living in LA. Oh yeah, and it came <laughs> up in like every interview. I was like Adam yeah. from Against Me. And, oh okay. Uh, yeah. Let's go, Greta. Who's in the Hush Sound? And like yeah, uh-huh. everyone's like everyone's like yeah, I moved to LA. I love it. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, man, should I move to LA? Like, everyone seems to be so happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's great. I don't know. I feel like it's just great. There's a lot of like, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of, um, you know, the gentrification debate and is is very heated there happening. But yeah. like on the flip side of that, like the benefits that um, are kind of more consolidating towards downtown LA are, are what like is what's really really cool and i think that like the the what is happening in downtown is spilling into the surroundings which is where the gentrification is happening um but downtown itself has just kind of just been like not like poor housing but it's just kind of been run down and it's being like revitalized um and that's kind of like spreading around the gentrification um but uh not getting into that because that's a whole nother discussion but um just like, I don't know. I mean, like, 
you can get you can go through the basics of LA of like oh the weather's always great right um you know traffic sucks sure but like a lot of times you like I work from home so I'm not involved in that right uh, or if I am involved in that I know when to go from point A to B where it's not going to take me four hours you know or like and also getting from point A to B on a side street is pretty cool too and that's like you know that's that's fine um so there's like all of those like main you know obvious things of like you know the great things of la the beach is there this is there blah, blah, blah. the in, the industry quote-unquote industry is there like right. you know all, all of the resources of venues and music and you know it's like um i mean yeah it's like the obviously it's like the new york of the you know the west coast or whatever um but and then also, yeah, because of all of that, all of the resources that are available um, are there. And I just feel like that's, I don't know, it's just a great, it's just great. I don't know. I like to live on top of a hill. I'm able to like, I've like bought a house years ago back, back then. Or not, I mean, not back then, but I bought a house. So we own a house and we like have a nice view and like things, you know, it's just like, it's just a nice, it's just nice. Yeah. I don't know, you know, east side of LA, which is where I live, is like super mellow. Okay. Um super easy um like yeah you know just things are you know, allison actually from tristeza has a uh open a clothing store like two minutes from my house no way you know? yeah so well, last time i talked like, to her i think maybe she was in portland yeah she was in portland with sean for a while okay. and then they, they broke up and then she you know, moved down to la and now she's got a shop and is doing her own thing there so it's like it's just cool you know it's like a nice little just a nice time there I yeah do you still keep in touch with a lot of people sort of from those those eras? Like, I guess, just... Uh, I guess a fair era. amount, yeah. yeah. Like, Christopher and I, like, chat every now and then. Um, Steven, who is from Tristeza, he lives in... He lives in L.A., Altadena specifically, but he has two kids as well. Okay. So, um, our kids hang sometimes, you know, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, like... There's definitely, like, connections still from those times that that are, like you know, solid, like unbreakable, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. What was the, who did the artwork for Spine and Sensory? Because I feel like that is kind I of become s- sort of iconic. Yeah, I think that was Jimmy Laner. Jimmy okay. Laner did most of the, the drummer, he did most of the art for everything. Okay, I didn't realize that. He and, um, he and Christopher, kind of like the, the connection that the, both of them kind of like tagged teamed a lot of that art. Um, but yeah, Jimmy, I think, Jimmy found that image and flipped it or reversed it or color i don't know he he was super super into like psychedelic stuff all the time so a lot of the artwork was kind of inspired by that but it was always like mostly jimmy that did all the art um and then christopher did a lot of like the writing and like um or handwriting and and typography and jimmy also like drew a lot of like the a lot of those like weird shapes that like spelled tristeza was like jimmy okay Um, but a lot of the like kind of like dark writing like handwriting um was christopher stuff um it's kind of mostly between the two of them but mostly jimmy did all the artwork interesting yeah what about when it comes to like the album leaf do you sort of handle all that stuff or do you um actually christopher did the one day christopher did one day i'll be on time okay um my father-in-law actually did my very first record really yeah, it's a painting of his because i was dating my wife at the time gotcha um or i know i dated we my wife and i dated in like 96 and then we broke up in 97 and then now we got you know eight years later we got back together three years later got married you know whatever we're we're that story gotcha um (laughs) which is great um so but her father's an amazing painter um so uh that first record was his the third record was the drummers our old drummers um art the fourth was another friend of mine i just kind of i guess i'm I guess when I'm saying this, it's like I've sourced out different people um, for different art. Um, but tell people you're, you're part of your life. It's all people that are, yeah. yeah. And my brother-in-law actually did a course of storytellers. Um, he actually did it as a photo shoot. And the fo- and he was he's not a photographer and doesn't really know how to use a camera. So he didn't like know about 300 DPI and just like high res and all that kind of stuff. So when he sent it to Sub Pop, they're like, uh, do you have a high res version? And like he couldn't. 
he didn't. So he just, he's also an amazing artist. So he just turned around and just painted it in like a couple of days and then wow. rolled the painting up and sent it to Sub Pop. <laughs> scanned it. Yeah. And then they sent it back. And now I have it on my wall in my studio. But, um, that's amazing. Yeah. So there's that. And there's actually like lately I've kind of been working with the same artists. Um, these two guys, this guy named a really close friend of mine, um, whose name is Michael Rains, who did the, the art for Between Waves. He did all, he's done all the videos so far. Um, um, he was doing live visuals with us. Um, so he's a good friend that, um, I met in Santa Cruz. Actually, our wives are filmmaking partners. He shoots their films. I score their films. So we're this little kind of like little team there. Um, and then there's this other guy in London, um, whose name is Alex Damon and he's done like Tori's Distraction or Forward Return. And he did all the t-shirts this time around and like all the posters. And so kind of now I've kind of like started working with the same two people. Cool. Yeah. I was curious. I mean, we talked a little bit about sort of like, I guess like syncs or like getting your yeah. music used and stuff. I mean, <clears throat> is there ever someone comes in they're like, Jimmy, they want to use your music in this thing. And you're like, no, like this is like, and maybe not like ethically yeah. or like just, you're just like, I don't want, or is it, is it normally something that's, you're like, eh, whatever, who cares? Most times it's and eh, whatever, who cares? Um, like, cause I don't really get, anything extremely like controversial or whatever there's some churches okay um that i'll say no to because if you're you know homophobic or you know just anti-muslim or like any kind of like or just generally preach hate (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to support that or be affiliated with that Um, right i'm not religious either and so that's also kind of like even like letting a church use it, I'm just kind of like, ah, you know, like, cause I don't agree with religion either. Like that's another thing, but, um, so, but it's generally, yeah, like it's, I, I haven't really, you know, been hit up by like, I don't say like Trump, for example. Right. It's not like, of course I would say, fuck no. Right. But like, you know, I haven't been hit up with like hit with anything, any kind of like controversial bomb or like, you know, choice of like, we're going to give you a hundred thousand dollars, which is would never happen. Right. Um, but you're supporting this, like you the know, new Philip whatever. Morris, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, Something yeah. like that. I have not, luckily have not been in that scenario. So yeah. have you been, um, following the election stuff a lot? Because I feel like I was at first and now I feel like it's gotten, I kind of just I'm exactly the same. Like, yeah, I'm exactly like, the same. I'll wait till November, see what happens, yeah. but I just can't. But I feel like in recent days, more shit starting to stir and yeah. now you're kind of forced to kind of pay attention again. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think about it because I've never been like, like vocally political, like for instance, like in interviews or like on stage or, you know, anything like that. Um, and it's kind of like, as a musician, as someone who has a microphone, you kind of feel like you kind of can have that power in a way to kind of like talk about things, but I've never really done that. Cause I just, you know, I don't know. Um, it's just not me, I guess. Um, and then like now we just like spent time through the South and we already, we just came from the South and there was like just certain like back roads and stuff that we we're like, you know, or just whatever, like the route we took, like seeing like Confederate flags and like things like that, where you're just like, holy shit, yeah. like, really? Like, I cannot believe that that like mentality still exists, but it does. And it's like Trump is bringing all of these just like batshit crazy ass backwards like you know backwards thinking people out of the woodworks with all of these things like like he just came up with like starting a you know anti-abortion uh i just just heard about it like about i don't know 45 minutes ago okay like yeah that I didn't he, heard about this, yeah, yeah that he like is putting together this whole like anti-abortion group you know which obviously is going to stir the pot Right. For all these religious freaks that think that, you know, like we're driving through the South, we saw like a sign of like, there's a heartbeat at 48 hours, be a good dad. Like, and it took like a little bit, we're like, wait, what is that? Like, it's like, oh shit, it's an anti-abortion, like, like right. billboard. And like, and it was like this whole, like, it's like this, like, be a good father. And like this guy, like holding and staring at his child and there's like a heart. Um, you know, like a love thing. And then the, 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 the message was like heartbeat at 48 hours or 20 or 72, whatever it is. I, I you know, right. like 
like basically anti-abortion we're just like holy shit that's crazy so yeah. i mean a lot obviously like i feel like trump is just like knows that like the majority of america is actually pretty fucked and is bringing out you know people and he's going to stir the pot and so that's what's getting more scary is it like oh and then also like the fact that you know obama has ran the country for the last eight years and people are totally livid and upset that like a black man has been in power you know so then they're like whoa and then it's like possibility to go to a woman which is like historically i mean not to get into like my you know support of or whatever but like historically would be a giant leap you know sure so i don't know it's just crazy you know i mean has that i was a burn i was i was a i was a burn burner though but yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i mean has that has this situation has it made you want to like maybe use your microphone to say more stuff yeah especially when we're in the south and i was just thinking like I, i mean i have family that like are trump supporters yeah, and like my, I have family that are Republicans that are like from Oklahoma, and I just saw them on this trip, and I specifically was like, no politics. I do not want to talk about it at yeah. all because I don't. I, it's like, I just cannot fathom anyone to support him. You know, to like his views and what you know, I just can't fathom it. Um, and actually, it was kind of funny. My uncle was like, you know, I just we, we did this this family tree thing, and we found out that like we had you know back to the Civil War, we had family on both in the north and the south so we've always been on opposite spectrums and it's just like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) like we've always been on both sides of the fence and it's like oh man so anyhow um but yeah i mean i've thought about it like especially through the south where it's just like man i i just don't and i hate to think or assume that like any one of my fans supports you know any kind of like just just anything that's i guess like not my views which i think are just very just like humanitarian really you know i mean it's just like how can you not how can you how can you like not i don't know how can equal rights not be a thing that's just norm you know all of these things that we all like are like you know the quote-unquote liberal or whatever like it's like how can you not like why does that make sense to everybody but you know but yeah and then so uh yeah i don't know it's hard but i mean i've thought about it being vocal about it but i'm also like not i i don't i often like fear the articulation of what i say and like i feel like it takes me a little like some time to like process and i also feel like i mumble and then so like i'm on a microphone in front of people i you know it's like i feel like i'm just gonna crash and burn and like just yeah yeah all right let's play a song or something you know what i mean so i don't know but it is like i do feel like it's very important i feel like more so like i can articulate things like via social media better you know somewhere i can think about it but I don't know, but then I feel like there's some like there's a sense of responsibility too, as like a you know a musician to like that has a voice to to kind of like be able to say that stuff. But again, through twenty years, it hasn't really been what I've done, and I don't know. It's it's tough, you know. Yeah, it is tough. <laughs> I, I know we were trying to like make some new shirts, and we we're like, should we do an anti-Trump shirt? And then I was like, everyone's gonna have a fucking anti-Trump shirt. Yeah, like totally. who in a punk band isn't gonna like? Yeah totally it's it's true yeah or hopefully hopefully it is true you know yeah i don't know yeah do you i mean are you um do you feel like you're on social media a lot or do you feel like because i'd imagine someone like you like with like a family and a wife i'm not at all projects yeah yeah i i and also the to age myself but i feel like you know it's like i cannot like i'm not old you know, I'm but turning like, 37 this month, so we're yeah, in the same. Totally, yeah. But I can't like. It's just not as easy for me to like to work social media into my life. You know, yeah. like I barely post photos on Instagram. When I'm on tour, I can be on top of it and I yeah. can like post things and and you know know what's going on. But like here, it's just yeah. Like nowadays, like when I'm not not on tour, I'm not much. Album life kind of goes a little silent. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think media. that's okay though. Like you're yeah. living your life. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know. Yeah, there's just other things that are just important, you know? Yeah. So sort of what, what's sort of your plan for, I guess, the rest of the year? Like, are you just kind of going to do this album cycle? Do you have any other projects you're working on? Um, I mean, I have a lot of collaborations and things that I'm sitting on. I have a lot of music that I've made that I'm sitting on. Um, 
I have a lot of like quote unquote ambient works or just like demos and just things that didn't, you know, that didn't surface. I have a ton of music. So things that I didn't feel like when you're putting a record together, like this doesn't fit or that doesn't fit with this kind of collection of songs or whatever. Right. Like, even though it's all under the same, like, you know, at the heart of album leaf, it is my songs and my songwriting. So, you know, like in theory on paper, I could Do release whatever I want to release. Cause it's going to be, you know what it is. Um, but I'm trying to figure out like ways to kind of put that stuff out. Um, like I said, mentioned earlier that I have a label now, like that kind of thing. What's the label called? It's called EGR Eastern glow recordings. Um, okay. So, and I did the forward return vinyl, that release, I did that. I did Tori's Distraction. I did like, you know, I, I've never been like, I have a label, you know, like right. this is out, you know, that kind of thing. But just like, I can put things out on my own uh, under this imprint, you know, but now I have distribution. So hopefully I'm going to have a little bit further reach. Um, but really it's just like, I just want to kind of reissue stuff and put out things that I can and like, um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, do this tour, this tour cycles, figure out kind of like, you know, what music I have. Um, I think we're going to do more touring, like beyond the touring that we're doing too. Um, going back to Europe and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, Yeah, it seems like Album Leaf especially seems to do a lot of international stuff. Yeah, we do. I mean, it actually, excuse me, it actually works. Asia is our hotspot. That's like our... Big, really? Yeah, that's where we do pretty well, so... Why is um, that, do you think? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I started, like, literally, we started just like any other thing, you know, playing, like, the little, like, 100-cap room, you know, and then just moving up. Like, you know, there wasn't, like, any kind of... We've never had a break, you know, like, oh, this came out, and then boom, you know. It's, right. it's never been that. It's always been from the, you know, ground up. There's never, like, any kind of hand-me-downs ever, you know, so... Um, but it was the same in Asia. It's just kind of got a further reach. Um, but again, I mean, we've also been quote unquote off the map for you know six years so we've kind of seen that like that like difference you know of like where we were in 2010 on the album cycle compared to where we are now right um just that kind of you know just the landscape things have just changed you know so and like i said like there's so much touring you know um other bands like and i think we're like we've been in the same town as young the giant for like the last like five nights or something really? like that yeah something like that you know yeah um we're in the same town as andrew bird for two nights so it's just like those kinds of like right mishaps where it's like that is obviously that's a split and like we're gonna go see this or we're gonna go see this you know totally. it's like so it must just also be so weird having like because i remember touring kind of like early 2000s late 90s where mm -hmm. like that was so not the case yeah like it was like that was the show that was yeah. like the show of the week or whatever yeah. you know like yeah, yeah totally is that, I mean, is that kind of, I mean, I guess you're used to it or it's a gradual transition, but is that weird to think about? Like, cause I, yeah, just touring with a CD book, like no, no, like no map on your phone. Like. Oh yeah. No, I mean, and I, that's still ingrained in me where yeah. like I can literally drive across this country, like without yeah. looking at my phone for any kind of guidance. Like there's venues I can get, you know, I could drive like right now I could leave and go to here and would not have to look at a map, you know, yeah. like know exactly where I'm going. Um, so yeah, I mean. It's kind of, that's kind of funny, you know, because like, yeah, back in like the nineties, I would like book tours on pay phones with like a little like rigged dialer and the JP and I, we always used to do all that stuff. Like we had this little dialer that would like trick the pay phone into thinking it was receiving cat or coins. Really? And then, yeah, that's what you, like, Wait, what entered, do you mean a dialer? It was called a dialer. It was like this Radio Shack piece. And what you had to do was install this chip, which like circuit bent it. Okay. Um, kind of like what everybody's doing now, all the circuit bending. Um, but it was this little device that I guess was supposed to hold numbers, phone numbers. Okay. Um, so you would program phone numbers in there and you can have like these numbers stored. So when you pick up the phone, you could just like hit that and it would call the number for you. Okay. You know, but you would bend it and trick it and then it turned into like a, like the tone of dropping coins into the payphone. So the payphone signals that the coins are in by making a sound to itself? I guess so. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of like what it was. So it's like, <laughs> like if you ever like, I mean, if you can find one, <laughs> if you like, when you put, pick up a payphone and like put in the coins, you'll hear a tone in the, in the thing. So you would basically like dial a number and they'd say, please insert 75 cents. Then you push the quarter button three times <laughs> and it's like, thank you. And so we would look, I would literally like, book tours and like you know with 
a dialer in like the lobby of my job where I worked at a movie theater. And when the movie was in, I would like sit there and work on tours and, you know, it's kind of funny. That's amazing. Yeah. So that, and that, and also back then too, like doing it yourself, you know, uh, DIY or whatever, like everybody had a scene within the scene, you know, there was like, you know, we would go to, for instance, like when we first met Christopher, like Christopher kind of had his own circuit in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So you reach out to this guy and this guy then like puts together the show, brings all of his friends' bands together. All of a sudden we're all playing in this basement, puts out all the flyers. And then like that guy knows like somebody in, you know, Mississauga, Canada. So then like we go there and then like that's the same kind of circuit, like, you know, some kind of like public space or whatever. Like th- those were kind of, that's kind of how like touring was booked back then amongst bands that didn't, you know, before booking agents and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it seems so, we talk about that a lot in the podcast. It seems like there's less like scenes now because yeah. things. But I think they exist because they like I think they exist amongst like the younger kids. Yeah, there's like this huge like backyard punk scene in L.A. and East L.A. specifically. Really? Yeah, um, amongst like Chicanos, it's okay. like it's like this huge. I think Vans actually kind of like um, uh, glam glamorized it a little bit. They did these little. P- vignettes these little pieces on it okay it just kind of felt like it was a little like exploitive but yeah, yeah like it's this whole like thing that's like you know this whole huge backyard punk scene and i i remember there was this kid who was like quote unquote interning for me um and i was just kind of showing me how to record and like file stuff on computers and you know whatever um he had this punk band and they would like play backyard parties like all these backyard shows through east la all the time really so i feel like those scenes exist under our radar but there's yeah. like it's literally the teenagers that we don't know about you know it's like yeah, yeah. It's, so it's the same it's almost like the same kind of like cycle like rehappening again but us old guys now don't know about those things you know <laughs> no, no. <laughs> try to figure out how yeah totally works. yeah i'm like i don't get this can someone explain this to me i've again? never even opened snapchat i don't even yeah i cannot i yeah your kids will probably be able so, to show you soon totally i know I, I, actually, my three-year-old like r- runs runs an iPad like nobody's business. I'm sure. Like, you hand him a phone, she's like, "Oh, here!" <laughs> All of a sudden, he's watching like you know Little Einsteins or some like kids show or whatever like that. <laughs> All right, nice. Just a nice. couple old pals sitting around <laughs> shooting the shit. Yep, that's just what we do here. Going off track. Uh, thank you so much to Jimmy Laval for coming by. Um, Check out the new album Leaf record, Between Waves. It is out now on Relapse, and Jimmy's touring a lot. He tours in Europe a lot. We talked about that. He's very popular over there. But he tours the States, too. He's around. But yeah, if you want some just cool, like, I don't know, like cleaning your apartment on a Sunday, kind of like background, not background, but like just like cool music that you can like kind of do other stuff to. It's good. I feel that that always sounds so inherently <laughs> insulting. Like, put it on the background. I, I mean, like, there, you know, there aren't a lot of vocals, so it's not something where like right. you really like. I mean that in a positive way. I that, like that's the kind of stuff I like to listen. I, to. you know, I, I feel like I'm just doing it. I'm not even joking. I'm constantly on the lookout for quote unquote background music. Yeah, that like, so like you know what a good example is like I I like classical music, but only. But not all classical music. I find a lot of it really just too, like, intense. You know? Yeah. But, like, so, I'm, I'm, so I, a lot of times I try to make playlists of, like, comfortable, like, piano sonatas and stuff. Yeah. And, um, but I also, <laughs> but I also am not 88 years old. I, like, my, it's, but it's hard to find that equivalent kind of vibe with modern music sometimes. It is. Because a lot of it's too experimental. So, and I do like electronic music too. And I like, but an ambient is a real, uh, that could go either way. So I'm going to check it out. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I'm going to listen to it because I, I have a use for it on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of Steve Reich lately. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's got some good ambient, ambient stuff. I believe. Do you want to finish this podcast or you want to just look at your phone? Sorry, I got an <laughs> important message. Uh, Sorry, Jonas, terribly distracted. No. Uh, Did your house burn down? No. This is your lamp. Okay, it's not that important, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay, thanks, Jimmy, for coming by. <laughs> uh, buy the album Leaf Record. You can donate to us. Goingofftrack.com. Track. Leave tweet. Us, tweet. 
leave us a thing. Instagram, iTunes review. Do a thing with that. Blah, blah. Tell, your, poster, tell all your friends. Poster make, in your dorm. Make your own going off track <laughs> artwork. Upload it. Tag us in it. <laughs> Get a tattoo. Yeah. Diorama. Just if you need the original artwork, I'll be glad to send it to you for your tattoo. Just yes. email me. I'll give yeah. you a high res copy. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. And we'll be back next week with another podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.